Uh, okay, why don't, why don't one or two people shout out? I'll repeat back I, rather than... Uh, so just who, which member of the Trinity and, and why is that the case? Or how does that manifest itself? One or two people want to just shout out a response? Stick a hand up and... Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. A mix. You've, you've got, okay, so that, that was uh, the little group there. Some thought the Father, uh, because that's the person to whom we pray. Others thought, no, actually, it's Jesus, because that's the one through whom we pray. And uh, someone else thought the Holy Spirit, because he's the one that enables us to pray. Okay, good, I like it. Anybody else want to chip in? Yes. Ah, interesting, yes, okay. Can you give me one example of that? Yes, okay. Yes, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a bit suspicious about your answers. So, so this was um, that um, this was uh, that circumstance. It changes with circumstances. Sometimes you feel that you need the fa- the love of a father. At other times, you want some kind of human sympathy. So you look to the son and uh, the spirit. I can't remember where the, what, what was the spirit. Oh, just sort of help you through. Yes, okay. I mean, these are such good answers. I'm slightly suspicious that you're telling me what you think should be the case and not what is the case. Can I do... Let's do a quick show of hands. Okay, so if you personally, uh, if your natural way of answering that question is to say, I, I, the, the sense of lived relationship is mostly with the father, stick up your hands. If it's the son, stick up your hands. If it's the spirit, stick up your hands. That's pretty even spread, actually. If it's God in some generic sense, anybody not? Okay. Or a bit of all three. Is that all three? Or Yeah, that's a bit different. Uh, that's a bit different, I think. Yeah, okay. Uh, good, okay. My, I, I'll, I'll tell you what my answer is. I, I realized a few years ago that for me it was the Father, for the, for the, because the Father is the one to whom I pray, and the Spirit because I have a very strong sense that, uh, not particularly because I have dramatic experiences very often, but I have a very strong sense that any good that I do is not done in my own strength. It, it, it must be done through the work of the Spirit. But I realised that for me, the Son felt rather, the Lord Jesus felt rather distant. Uh, he, you know, he, he died for me 2,000 years ago. I'm very clear on that. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that, but that's a long time ago. And now he's ascended into heaven, which is a long way away. And so in sense, actually, of a lived, experienced relationship, he felt rather distant. And that got me thinking. And so what I tried to do, I should wave the book about, by the way, enjoying God. So this is sort of snapshot version of this, this book, which you can buy for two pounds off. You'd be a fool not to. Um, it's just to try and tease out uh, how it is that we have a living day-to-day relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. But let me explain to you why I think that particularly is important. Oh, by the way, I should say, I've, done that, I've asked that question all over the place. And uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever had such an even spread, by the way. It's interesting. But, but, but it does not correlate 
to people's kind of churchmanship. It's not that, you know, those who are a bit more conservative all say the Father and those who are a bit more charismatic all say the Spirit. It doesn't seem to work like that. It seems to sort of cut across those things. But also, can I encourage you to go and ask people the question? Because I find it generates really fascinating conversations about what people's actual lived spiritual experiences not just you know what what we think is all theoretical but actually to begin to talk with people about how it is that they actually experience god day by day but what i want to highlight is a key principle i really think this is crucial a key principle for enjoying god is this god is known through the three persons And so we relate to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. Simple as that. So when we pray, for example, I think it's all too easy for us to think that we are praying to a thing or to a force. And it can seem a bit abstract. We try to picture God, but God is invisible. How can we relate to the invisible God? How can finite people relate to the infinite? As soon as you start thinking about the infinity of God, just our minds just go mental, don't they? And here's the answer. The answer is we can't. We don't have a relationship with God in a kind of general, undifferentiated kind of way. We don't have a relationship with the essence of God. By the essence of God, I mean the stuff that God is made from, except that God isn't made and there's no stuff. So apart from that, it's it's an exact description. The the being of God, the stuff that makes... No, no, anyway, struggling with language here. But, you know, the godness of God is entirely beyond our comprehension. It's not as if God is, you know, you can do a chemical analysis. We can do a chemical analysis on the stuff that we're made of. Uh, find out, you know, what, what bone is made up of and flesh and so on. But God is a spirit. God is an infinite being. Outside of time. Outside of space. We've got no way of kind of even mentally thinking about what that is or what that might be like. We can't relate to the essence, the being of God. But we can know the persons of God. Father, Son and Spirit. God lives in an eternal community in which the Father, Son and Spirit relate to one another in love, have always related to one another. And when God relates to us, he relates to us in the same way. As persons in community, in relationship, as Father, Son and Spirit. So God is not some impersonal force that kind of pervades the universe or a set of moral principles. He's persons in relationship, eternal relationship, loving relationship. And through the work of Christ, he allows us, he invites us to join in that community of love. And so it's only in the context of relationship, of persons, that we know him and relate to him. A relationship, by the way, that he initiates through his grace. Now, all of that is sort of um, head-banging kind of theology. I mean, literally mind-bending. Is it literally mind-bending? Anyway, it is mind-bending. 
But the practical implication is very, very simple. Your relationship with God will be deepened and enriched if you think about how it is that you are relating to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. In a sense, thinking about each member of the Trinity and how they are relating to you in any given moment and how you can respond. Got that? It's very simple, but it's really important. Thinking about how the Father is relating to you, how the Spirit is re- Son is relating, and how the Spirit is relating. Just, just do that for a moment. Just, just quietly. Just stop and think for a moment. How, are, how does the Father relate to you? Here and now, in your everyday life, in your typical week, and how can you respond to that? And then think, how is, does the Son relate to you? And how can you respond? And how does the Spirit relate to you every day? And how can you respond? And I think what you begin to see once you push hard at those things, that's what I try and do in the book, is, is, is what you discover is that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are interacting with us in a thousand different ways every day. If only we have eyes to see it. And what I want to do in a moment is just tease out a little bit of what that might look like with the Father, just as a kind of case study. But before we go that, there's one more important step. The first step in relating to God is to think about each member of the Trinity distinctly, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But we must never think of the three persons without at the same time recognizing that God is one, that God is one being. And that unity matters because it means that to know one person is to know all three. You never kind of relate to them on their own. And so in our minds, we're kind of constantly moving from one to the other. And here's why that matters. My wife and I, when we um, go on long car journeys, we like to get an audio book to, uh, to listen to. Um, and uh, we particularly like um, C.J. Sanson. Anybody heard of C.J. Sanson? He writes, I can't remember who the guy's name is. Anyway, they're sort of Tudor murder mystery stories. And, uh, but here's the problem. A full-scale C.J. Sampson novel takes about 20 hours to read. And, and we don't go on 20-hour car journeys. You know, we, we live in England. If you drive for 20 hours in any direction, you're, you fall off the edge and into the sea. Uh, so what we, we go for the abridged version, which takes about six hours, or three hours there, three hours back, hopefully, whatever, you know. And... Uh, I once suggested to a Christian publisher doing some abridged version of some great classic works of Christian theology, of of Christian tradition, Christian history. And they said, oh, no, 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 people don't like reading abridged version because they don't know what's missing. They're wary about what's been left out. Have you missed out some important stuff and twisted the emphasis in some way? And I think there's a danger that we can think of the Lord Jesus as kind of the abridged version of God. And so we, we see Jesus, but we're not quite sure what's been left out. You know, and, and Jesus looks great, but 
But is there a kind of God behind Jesus that actually is, is more harsh or more distant? Are we really getting the real thing? And this is why the oneness of the Trinity is so important. Because the Son shares one being with the Father and the Spirit. And so what you see is what you get. When you, the, the God that you see in Jesus is not an abridged version. It's the full version of God. You're not getting some other version. Does that make sense? So that's really important that we never kind of pull them apart in such a way that we lose that unity. To relate to the Son is to relate to the Father and the Spirit. So let's think about relating to the Father. I want to kind of highlight three ways in which I think the Father relates to us every day, every moment, and in which we can respond. And the first is this. In every pleasure, we can enjoy the Father's generosity. In every pleasure, we can enjoy the Father's generosity. In Luke 12, Jesus invites us not to worry. He says in verse 22, do not worry about life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And then he says very, something very similar in verses 29 and 30. Do not your, set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about them. Pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. So you've got two calls not to worry. And then in between that we've got a little section where Jesus tells us to consider something. Twice he tells us to consider, to look at the world around us and, and think about what it teaches. Let me read those verses in between. Remember they're set in this context of not worrying. This is what Jesus says. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, what I want to highlight is, is the way that, that we we. What Jesus is saying is we don't need to worry because the world around us is full of evidence of our Father's loving involvement. When you're tempted to worry, Jesus is saying, consider the birds, consider the flowers, look at how God looks after them. We live in a fathered world. You see the birds? What's the explanation? How do you see it? Well, there are all sorts of natural explanations. Jesus invites us to see this world as a fathered world in which God the Father cares for the birds. You see the flowers? See their beauty? What's the explanation? How do you see it? Well, there are lots of natural explanations. Seeds and genetics and photosynthesis all, all have their place, but... Jesus says, look beyond that and see the intimate involvement of God your Father. See our world as a fathered world. The lie of the serpent in the garden was that God is an uncaring Father. And therefore we should go it alone. 
Satan doesn't dispute the existence of God or the power of God. The lie that he spins is that God does not care. By the way, at that point, all the evidence had been to the contrary. God had created man and woman, placed them in a garden, said they could eat anything that they wanted except for one tree, given them a place of security and plenty. And yet we believe the lie that God is distant and uncaring. And so that's why Jesus says, still to this day, the reason why we worry is a lack of faith. People don't believe that God cares. They think he's distant. They think this world is an unfathered world. But faith, faith sees everywhere signs of God's care and beauty and power and love. And here's my point. The world in which we live is a magical place. God saw all that he had made, says Genesis, and it was very good. We live in a very good world. It's marred by sin, of course it is. We'll look at that in a moment. But it's still full of, of God's ingenuity and creativity. We live in a world of wonders. We live in a world of oak trees. A thousand, a thousand variety of rice. Did you know that? There are a thousand variety of rice. Of Jane Austen. Of neon lights. Of past participles. Of space probes. Of snails. Crazy. Of curry. Did you see all these things? Pick anything. And you'll see a thing of wonder. Here's one of my favourites. Whoops. That got a bit, the uh, illustration got a bit carried away there. In fact, let's do it. Look. Everywhere else, water's coming into the tent already, so I can do that without, without worrying. <laughs> Just think about water for a moment, okay? All life depends on it. So this is, this is vital stuff of life. We drink it, we wash in it. But by the way, we also swim in it. We have, we have water fights. So, so God has made a world where there's this substance that, 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 that sustains life and yet also allows us to have a whole load of fun. But here's the genius thing. Who would have thought of this? How does this stuff come to us? That this stuff that we depend on. It just falls out of the sky. You couldn't make it up, could you? It just falls out of the sky. Here we are moaning about it being raining. But this is the stuff of life just just appearing out of the sky and falling down to earth. What an astonishing world. If we have eyes to see it. You're looking at me sceptically. I have to say that. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe rain is a bad example in Northern Ireland. <laughs> the goodness of creation is intended to point us to the goodness of God. Remember the story where Jesus uh, heals ten lepers. And the ten lepers come to him. And he says, go to the priest to, to sort of show yourself to the priest. So off they head to the priest. And now on, en route, they discover that they have been healed. And you remember that one of them then goes back to express his thanks to the Lord Jesus. One of them returns, throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him. 
At the end of the story, ten lepers have been healed. But only one of them is with Jesus. Only one of them is enjoying friendship with Jesus. What is it that has drawn him back to Jesus? The answer is gratitude. Now for us, gratitude may not affect your physical location But let me encourage you, it will bring you nearer to God. It will bring you close to God in exactly the same kind of way. It is a powerful act. It's very easy for us to, to focus on what we lack and feel discontented. And then a sort of thousand adverts come along to reinforce that sense of, of, of that we need stuff to be happy. But gratitude redirects our thoughts away from all these trifles, all these things that we feel that we lack, to the amazing blessings that are ours already. Sunshine, birdsong, friendship, all waiting to be enjoyed and relished without, without needing any payment. And that's before we count our blessings as the children of God. And the key that unlocks that treasury of joy is gratitude. It lifts our eyes from the gift to the creator, to the giver. Leads us back to God. Enables us to experience the good things of life as gifts from, a, from our Father, as part of a relationship with the living God. So, so what I really want to encourage you is, is every time anything good happens to you, Anything you receive, every meal, every breath, I mean that might be overdoing it, but uh, the fact that you've got a seat, there are some poor souls outside who are standing, that is a gift to you from your Heavenly Father. Now suddenly you can see that God the Father is relating to us, interacting with us in a, in a hundred ways, multiple ways. Showering gifts upon us. All the things we enjoy, says John Calvin, are ladders by which we may ascend nearer to God. God, he says, by his benefits, gently attracts us to himself, giving us a taste of his fatherly sweetness. Just think back over this week here at New Horizon and think about all the things you've enjoyed, not just in terms of the teaching in the tent and so on, but spending time perhaps with family and friends. Down at the beach yesterday, I had an ice cream. Uh, all those things that you've enjoyed. Now just imagine them, kind of the Father giving to you them, gift-wrapped as his gift. Because of his abundant generosity. And then thank him for those things. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Just in the same groups, I want you to identify one thing recently that has filled you with wonder. Can you do that? So my example was water. I'll give you another one, okay? Just, just to... Um, there's a fish called the archer fish. Do you know about the archer fish? What it does is it, it squirts or spits water out of its mouth. So there's a, it's in the water. There's a fly above the water... It squirts a little stream of water that hits the fly, knocks the fly into the lake so that it can eat it. 
genius. But here's the, here's, here's the crazy thing about it. If it just squirted the water, it wouldn't be enough water. So what it does is it squirts a little sort of jet of water, but it squirts the water at, at the, that it squirts out at the end faster than the water that it squirts out at the beginning, so that that water travels through the air faster than the... So you can imagine a little sort of line of water. you with me? The water at the front of that line is going more slowly than the water at the end of that line. So that the water at the end starts to catch up with the water at the beginning, so that when it hits the fly, there's enough water to knock it out the sky. That is bonkers, isn't it? That is the world that our God has created. It's full of stuff like that, crazy stuff. There's a redundancy of beauty. That I, you know, we, if you can look out the window, you can see trees, okay? Every leaf is different. If, you, if we got a leaf now and held it up to the light, you'd see all the little veins running through it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And every single one is different. And it just drives me... Anyway, every single one is this thing of beauty. And every now and then, you know, crazy people like me pick one up and hold it in the light and think, my word, that is, that is beautiful, isn't it? But, but there are millions of leaves just over here, not a hundred yards away from where you're sitting, millions of leaves that no one will ever hold up to the light and appreciate. The only person who's appreciating it is God himself, knocking out all these leaves that are just beautiful, just for the fun of it. And then in a few months' time, they'll all be dead. And, he'll do it, and the next year, he'll do it all over again. Crazy. That's the world we live in. That's the world that you're surrounded in. That's a fathered world for you. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm riffing here. So you turn to the person next to you, do your version of the archer fish. It might be something in the natural world, or it might be a product of human ingenuity. I once had a group of elders, and there were two engineers. And all our elders' meetings started with about 15, 20 minutes of just marvelling at some latest engineering thing that that someone had just pulled off. So, you know, just, just, just... Share some delight in God's world. Something crazy that you, um, that you particularly appreciate. Is that okay? Uh, let's have a couple. So a couple of people want to um, share a wonder. Something that, that just makes you go wow. All right. Oh, okay. That was popular. Uh, the sunset last night. Yes, okay. Everyone always mentions sunsets. Anybody else? Yes, here. Oh, yes. This is bonkers, okay? So this is, um, somebody was showing our friend there a a flock, I mean, is is it a flock of butterflies? Uh, Of painted lady butterflies. Do you know about painted lady butterflies? Every, about every 10 years. So they're a butterfly that you'll see every year in, in the UK. Uh, and I guess in Northern, obviously Northern Ireland as well. So, um, and uh, so, so they, they're there. But every ten years or so, they, there's just a huge number, about a million, turn up in the British Isles. That's crazy, isn't it? And so you saw about a thousand in one go. Unbelievable. Okay. Yes, there was one over somewhere over here. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. So you were driving the other, woman was driving the other day. A road she drives. Common, often, 
and yet she stopped the car on this particular occasion last week because she was just struck by how beautiful it was and yet do it every day that's the that's the thing isn't it we do it every day and yet we miss it so often we miss now here's the thing you may be thinking well i didn't expect to be talking about ice cream and butterflies and uh, archerfish in a seminar my point is these are all the father's beauty and generosity and gifts to us they're all signs that we live in a fathered world and so if you have eyes to see it suddenly god's work is all around us and 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 this is not he's not he's not we're not deists you know what deists are they believe that god made the world and then sort of sat back put his feet up and sort of let us get on with it no we believe in a god who is intimately involved in our daily lives and so all these things are are his gifts to us to you not in some sort of generic sense, here's a load of stuff for mankind, but day by day he is sending these things in your direction as signs of his love and generosity to you. Okay? We live in a fathered world. That's how the father is relating. And number one way we relate back is with gratitude. Now, receiving the good things in life as God's gifts is all well and good, but what about the bad things? And so the second thing I want to highlight in terms of how we relate to God the Father is that in every hardship, we can enjoy the Father's formation. Uh, here's how the writer of Hebrews uh, answers the question of how we can, uh, h- how the bad things of life, the tough things of life, feature in our relationship with God the Father and how they might lead to joy. This is Hebrews 12 verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Then he adds a few verses later. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now there's a realism there. What's happening in your life may not be pleasant. We don't have to pretend that bad things are good things. It's painful. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But he also affirms that God intends it for our ultimate good. Now, God never punishes us. It's really important. If you're a child of God... God never punishes us. He can't punishes us. He can't punish us because he's already punished our sin at the cross. He's not going to do you can't, God is just. He's not going to punish us for things that have already where the price has already been paid. He can't punish us and he won't punish us because he loves us as his children. And so his discipline for us is is formative it's shaping us you've got to think of it more like an exercise or a diet regime to design to shape us into the image of his son i think part of our problem is that when we think of discipline what comes into our head is the kind of headmaster you know the ruler across the back of the hand i know that doesn't happen anymore uh, but that's what comes into our mind but we actually use the word discipline in a whole host of other ways we have an exercise discipline. We, have, we talk about in terms of exercise or in terms of diet or in terms of um, uh, 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 at work or an athlete disciplining themselves. And the Bible uses all these kinds of ways as well. 
And so we relate to God the Father by accepting the good things of life in our lives and the bad things as the way he has chosen to make us like his son. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that bad things are some kind of direct retribution for some specific misconduct. Jesus very clearly knocks that idea out of the water. But God does use suffering to weaken our allegiance to this world, to set our hope on the world to come, to weaken our dependence on earthly things and strengthen our dependence on him. Every year I uh, prune uh, an apple tree in my garden and uh, apple trees send shoots out in every direction and that doesn't make for a very fruitful tree. So one of the things you've got to do is cut out all the, all the shoots that are kind of heading across one another so that the, there's plenty of kind of space for the fruit to grow and then at the end of the process this sort of pile of twigs that end up on our fire. And each year it makes me think of Jesus' picture of God the Father as a gardener. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So just as I'm cutting out the branches that are heading off in the wrong direction, so God is cutting out every desire in us that, that leads us away from him. My pruning hopefully, leads to a better crop of apples. God's pruning leads to, as the writer of Hebrews says, a harvest of righteousness. It too produces a crop, and its crop is holiness. Now, sometimes we can see that process at work. You know, there are times when you look back on your life and you realize that that particular episode, that tough time, had this effect in my life. But often we don't make those links. We can't make those links. They're a mystery to us. And we have to take them on trust. But God has given us good reasons to trust him. And top of the list is the cross. He gave his own son for us. That's his expression of intent for us. That at the price of his own son, he is making us his. James 12, uh, Hebrews 12 also talks about those who have been trained by God's discipline. You think, uh, this is the image that works for me, actually, in terms of God's discipline. Think of a trainee, uh, someone who sort of joins a new company, and uh, you, there might be some things you want to teach them in a kind of lecture kind of situation, but often you give them a whole range of different tasks, different experiences of different aspects of the business, so that they learn how to do their job well. Well, in the same way, God the Father has designed a complex and complete training package for each believer in which every circumstance in your life, even every circumstance of your day, is part of that lifelong training and development program using all the good things and all the bad things to make us like his son. Day to day he is working out that plan. In every hardship we can enjoy the father's formation. I find that really helpful, you know, particularly, you know, if I'm my day gets off to a bad start or I find myself stuck in traffic, I have to remind myself God has allowed this to happen 
and there's a purpose in it. And perhaps that purpose is to make me more like the Lord Jesus. This is not some random throw of the dice that meant that I ended up in, in traffic. This is God's training regime for my life. Now, how do we put this into practice? Well, here's one idea. When we face suffering, we typically ask, what am I going to do? It's not a bad question, by the way. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't ask that question. But what I want to encourage you, maybe even just in your mind at the moment, take a current struggle and reframe your response by asking, what does God want me to learn? What does God... We, we, a lot of us are activists and immediately we want to try and do something. But let me encourage you to also be asking yourself, what does God want me to learn? And then number three in our little sort of um, whistle-stop tour of how the Father is involved in our lives. And we've touched upon this, a number of responses touched upon this already. In every prayer, we can enjoy the Father's welcome. Let me read some verses from Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so here's the point that Paul is making there in Romans 8. God sent his son so that we could become children of God. In fact, it's, it's much stronger than that. It's, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, then you are in Christ. That, again and again and again and again, that is how Paul describes Christians. Never, never calls us Christians, by the way. Always says we are those who are in Christ. And what that means is, because we are in Christ, we enjoy the same relationship with the Father that the Son enjoys. What is that relationship? It's the relationship of a son to a father. When we pray, our Father, what, what Jesus is, that's Jesus. He says, how, how, they, disciples ask, how, how can we pray? And he says, our Father. What he's saying there is, you can pray. The, the Father to whom I pray is now the Father to whom you pray. And so together we pray our Father. And so we are loved with the same love that the Father has for his Son. Just think about that for a moment, because it didn't get more mind-blowing than that. But the Father wants more for us than that. He wants you to not just be a child, but to feel that you're a child of God, to live as a child of God, and that's why he sends the Spirit. So he sends the Son to make us children. He sends the Spirit so that we feel like children and live like children. He sends the Spirit to testify to our spirits that we are children of God. That's what Paul says. So that we can feel the intimacy and confidence of being his children. If you don't think of yourself as a child, then you will think of yourself as a slave, says Paul. And so you will think of service as a burden. And so God sends his spirit to lead us into the freedom of sons. Just as he led 
people of Israel out of Egypt. Pillars of cloud and fire, I think, symbolizing, picturing, promising the Spirit who leads us into freedom. I remember hearing once from of uh, Christians who were involved in a summer camp for street children in Ukraine. And at the beginning of the week, the children, whenever there was food, would grab it and hide it, uh, stuff it in their pockets. Because that was their, growing up on the street, if there was any, ever food available, you, you grabbed what you could. Because you had no confidence that food would come the next day. And uh, because they had grown up, these children, without loving fathers, so they had no confidence that they would be cared for. It's only when you see yourself as a child of God that you stop looking back to slavery, stop thinking that everything you own must be hoarded, and start becoming free to serve God. Now what does this look like? It all sounds a little bit grand, doesn't it? Feeling the intimacy of the spirit, you know. You're thinking, well, sounds lovely, but what's that got to, you know, how does that relate to my experience? Well, look at what Paul says. Look at Paul how describes what this feels like on the ground. Verse 15, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What I want to say to you is if you pray to God, that is a sure, certain sign that you are a child of God. If you pray to God with any sense of confidence that he will answer. Without the spirit of the Son, we would not pray. And if you don't believe me, try, try this, okay? Right now, ask the Queen for a gift. Go on. Now, of course, that's a ridiculous thing to do. One obvious reason is she's not here. And even if she was here, you've got no reason to think that she would respond to your request. I mean, probably as you went to make your request, some security guard would swoop in and whisk you away. And yet, as Christians we do something far more preposterous every day without even thinking about it. We, make, we address the king of heaven and ask him for things. And we do so with every expectation that he can hear us and every expectation that he will hear us. Now why is that? It's, it's not obvious that God the creator of all the universe would listen to your prayers. Can, can you see that for a moment? It's not, that, that is not an obvious thing to assume. And yet you do assume it. And so you pray. Why? Because the spirit of Christ in you testifies that you are children of God and urges you, prompts you to call out Abba Father. We pray because we believe our prayers don't simply hit the ceiling and bounce back. However distant God may feel in the moment, and you know some of you may be going through dark times at the moment, or however perfunctory your praying may feel as you try and squeeze it in between getting the kids off to school and all that sort of stuff, 
Nevertheless, we pray because we have a sense that God hears us. And that is the work of the Spirit in you. It's a miracle. Think about it for a moment. It's a miracle. And here's the amazing thing. I I want you to get a sense of this. That work of the Spirit in our hearts is so powerful that we hardly ever think about it. We pray without a second thought. And by the way, I want you to pray without a second thought, okay? But just for this moment, let's have a second thought about it. Let's just stand back and see what an astonishing thing it is that any of you should take it upon yourselves, sinners, tiny little finite people, sinners marred by sin, take it upon yourselves to address your request to the king of the universe... That is the most extraordinary act of presumption, were it not for the fact that the Spirit powerfully testifies in our hearts that we are children of God. There's a sense in which, at one level, we kind of ought to hesitate every time and say, can I really do this? Can I really approach God? That would make sense. But we don't hesitate because the Spirit testifies to our hearts that we are children of God, that God is a generous Father who delights uh, to hear our prayer. Here's the irony. I just want you to get this. That is one of the most powerful works of God ever, and it is so powerful that we barely notice it. That's the point. You follow, you follow the logic of that? So I'm not talking about some wacky experience that other people have that mystics and monks have somewhere off about it. I'm talking about what you do every day is a powerful experience of the spirit in which you experience the father's welcome every time you pray. Now we've run out of time. So I was going to ask offer questions so you have to come and ask me if you personally if you've got a question. Here's what I want to send you away to do. I'd like to encourage you to, uh, just for a week, every time you pray, pray my Father. Or if you're doing it with other people, then pray our Father. You may do that already, but you may have other ways in which you instinctively address God, eternal Lord, or whatever it might be. But just for a week, and, and that's fine, by the way. Lots of ways in which scripture invites us to address God in prayer. But just for a week, and, and with a very kind of keen sort of, Awareness of what you're doing. Pray, my Father, as you begin each prayer. Just to reinforce this idea. And then here's what I also want to encourage you to do. Every time you notice, and I hope, I want, you know, have eyes to see this, but every time something lovely happens or something interesting or extraordinary or wonderful happens, say, my Father, thank you for this generosity for this wonder, for... Anyway, just express some gratitude in some way. And then every time something tough happens, every time something difficult, every time something painful, say, thank you, Father, Uh, please use this to make me more like your son. Uh, Let me finish there. Let me finish with prayer. How's that? Our Father, we thank you for your fatherly sweetness as Calvin puts it your kindness to us your generosity to us to us in this world in which we live full of wonders give us eyes to see we pray that this is a fathered world fill us with wonder even more fill us with gratitude
so that all these gifts lead us back to you. And for those things that are tough in our lives, and I pray particularly for those whose lives are tough, I pray that uh, you would give us the eyes to see this as fatherly discipline, shaping us to be like your son, growing in us a harvest of holiness. May each of us have a keen sense, a strong sense of living in relationship with you, of experiencing your love day by day and moment by moment, and of returning our gratitude and thanks to you. Uh, of uh, having that freedom in prayer uh, to come before you as our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.